As I get started today, it, it is my parents' 49th wedding anniversary today, and I, I know they're going to be listening to the podcast this week. So mom and dad, happy anniversary, and yes. <laughs> and thank you for modeling love to me and to my family. Had to get that in before I got started. So it is the 4th of July weekend, and... So it it reminds me of a story I once heard about a church that was meeting around the 4th of July. And it was a very different church than our own because they were not led by a band like us. The worship was led by an organ. And on this particular Sunday, the regular organist was out sick, and so they had to call in a a replacement at the last minute. And the substitute came in. She she arrived just in time, and the, the pastor gave her the order of service and said, everything selected except I have to make an announcement at the end of the service, and you need to come up with something to play at the end of the service. And so the, everything began, and it was the music went off without a hitch. It was just perfect. They got through the whole service, and at the end, the pastor got up, and he made his announcement. He said, The roof has sustained considerable damage in our church building here, and we don't have the money to replace it or to fix it. It's going to cost $4,000 to fix it, and so I'm going to ask you something. Anybody who can give $100 to fixing the roof, please just stand up right now. And at that point, the substitute organist played the Star Spangled Banner. And that is how the substitute became the regular organist (laughs) at the church. Well, if you've been paying attention, then you know that today is the day in this Go Deep series that we're going to talk about giving. And I want you to know something. I'm going to make you a promise. I'm not going to ask you to stand up at any point in the service today. I'm not going to ask Jason to come up here and put an organ sound on the keys and and play the Star Spangled Banner. That is not what I'm going to do. What I want to do for you this morning is simply to share what God's Word, some of what God's Word says about generosity, and share some stories of some people who've taken that Word seriously. See, God has a lot to say about money in Scripture. It actually is talked about more than 800 times in the Bible. And we learn as we read these things that God wants to change our perspective about money. He wants to lead us into freedom. He wants to teach us about trust and generosity and blessing. You know, I don't like to preach on money any more than you like to hear sermons about money. But I would be doing you a disservice if I didn't talk about this from time to time, because like I said, it is all over God's Word. Now, there are several reasons that we take an offering on Sunday morning. One of those reasons is that your giving empowers the mission and ministry of our church. There's lots of ways that this happens, but let me share one small way that's not really so small for a family in our community who's come across some really rough times. And the last couple weeks, we've been helping them out through various means and working with with the link and, and helping to get them support and giving them some financial help as well. I don't want to share any of the circumstances that they're going through because I want to protect their privacy but I do want to share a conversation that they had with Katie Griffin. One of them said to her, I know where the link gets its money from government grants and various things, and I know where social services gets its money, but where do you get the money to help people in this community? And Katie got to tell her it comes from our members who give joyfully 
each week to the ministry that, that's going on in this community. And this couple was just floored that people in this community would care enough to give money to help support them. So your generosity is inspiring other people, and it is changing lives. But today, I don't want to focus on that. Today, I want to focus on another reason that we give, and that is what happens in the heart of the giver when they give. You see, generosity helps us go deeper in faith. And you can't go deeper with God if you're comfortable all the time. Sometimes God wants us to get a little uncomfortable so that we can experience the blessing of trusting in Him. That's why the fourth attribute in this Go Deep series is give joyfully. We're adding this to the list of attributes we've already talked about. We've said that more fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ serve passionately. They belong wholeheartedly. They grow organically. And then today, we're going to talk about giving joyfully. Now, it's worth noting that giving is not just about what you give financially. That God wants us to give our time and our talent to the work of his kingdom as well. And we talked quite a bit about that in the first week in this series when we talked about serving passionately. And so today we're going to spend a little bit more time talking about finances. Today's passage comes from 2 Corinthians. And let me give you some quick geography to get a sense of kind of where this was, the the first recipients of this letter that was written and has been preserved in the New Testament for us. They lived in Corinth there in Greece. And that was a city that was a major prominent city in the Roman Empire. In fact, it was the third largest city in that day. It was a really important place that controlled two different ports. It also served as a place that a lot of people went through when they were traveling between Italy and and Asia. And so it was this place where there was this intermingling of cultures and a lot of different people coming together. There was a lot of wealth and a lot of commerce that were going on in Corinth. We're also, in this passage we're going to read, going to hear about some people in Macedonia. And if you look on this map, that's north of Greece, there where you see Philippi and Thessalonica. That's, uh, and there are New Testament books written to both of those places, Philippi and Thessalonica. And the people in those places endured some hardship and some suffering on account of their faith at various times. And you can read about those in the first chapter of each of the books written to those places in the New Testament. And so with that in mind, now we can read this passage and kind of have a sense of who it's being written to, Corinth, and who's going to be referred to, these Macedonian churches to the north. So let's read 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been granted to the churches of Macedonia. For during a severe ordeal of affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For as I can testify, they voluntarily gave according to their means and even beyond their means, begging us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in this ministry to the saints. And this not merely as we expected, they gave themselves first to the Lord and by the will of God to us. Then skipping ahead to verse 8, I do not say this as a command, but I am testing the genuineness of your love against the earnestness of others. For you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. This is the word of God. 
In this passage, it presents to us a recipe for generosity that has some things in it that you might not expect. Now, when you're making a recipe, you usually want to put things together that you know are going to complement each other. If you're, if you're baking cookies, for instance, you might want to put white chocolate and macadamia nuts together or cinnamon and sugar together. When making a recipe for generosity, you'd expect things that really, ingredients that, that make a lot of sense, and you just know off the top of your head, those things are going to go together. But instead, the Macedonians have this recipe that includes abundant joy, expected, extreme poverty, not expected. Did, did we read that right? Let's put that back up on the screen just to make sure. Verse 2, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity. Yes, we did read that right. When making a recipe for generosity, I'd expect something else to be paired with abundant joy, something like material wealth or disposable income. Those things make sense in the recipe. But the Macedonians, on the other hand, they put their poverty together with joy, and it produced generosity. These Macedonian churches, they faced persecution, and as they did, their wealth diminished. But as their net worth decreased, their joy and their giving increased. You know, this is not the only place in Scripture where we find poverty as an ingredient in the generosity recipe. Check out Mark chapter 12. Says Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in ten very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave of their wealth, but she out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she had to live on. <clears throat> How can people be generous when they're dealing with poverty in their own life? They do it because their ultimate hope is not in their money or their wealth or lack thereof. Their ultimate hope is in the Lord. Money can come and go, but the Lord will stand forever. So we can put our hope in something that is temporal, or we can put our hope in the one who will never leave us and never forsake us. Pastor Craig Rochelle writes this, The more a person is able to control life through the power of money, wealth, and status, the more inclined he is to rely on his money's ability to make things happen instead of relying on God. Giving teaches us to trust God. It increases our faith and it helps us to go deeper. Let's see what else we can learn from these Macedonian people. 2 Corinthians 8, once again, verses 3 and 4, it said, They voluntarily gave according to their means and even beyond their means, begging us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in this ministry to the saints. For the Macedonian church, giving was a privilege. And so they gave beyond what they were able to give. You know, as I've talked to people who've come back from the Nicaraguan mission trip that we sent out in April, I've heard a lot of great stories from that trip. 
And some of those stories, as you might expect, involved food. Whenever you travel in foreign places, the food is always a a wonderful thing to experience. Usually a wonderful thing to experience. (laughs) But these... There was one night in particular that a lot of the team members have talked to me about, and it was a night when they went out into the community in groups, and they ate at host homes. And so these Nicaraguans, they provided a meal for them. And some of the people have talked about what these families did for them. In one house, they killed their best chickens. And that seems kind of strange to us, their best chickens. But, but for them, that was an enormous sacrifice. They gave the best that they had. In some cases, they gave all they had, all the resources they had for food. And they lavished them on their guests, these American guests who had way more materially than they ever would. And team t- members told me that it was really hard to receive this kind of gift, but they were instructed to take it because if they didn't, they would be robbing their hosts of the joy of giving to them. Craig Rochelle, that pastor I quoted just a few minutes ago, he had a very similar experience in Ecuador when he was on a mission trip there. And he, he went into a village. They spent their time there together and his family was there with him. And at the end of the trip, several of the ladies from the village came and brought this exquisite dress that they had embroidered. And Craig had learned while he was there that this, this dress, this type of dress took about a month to make. And it was the main source of income for many of the people in that village. And they brought the dress and they gave it to his daughter as a gift. And Groeschelle, he protested. He told his translator, I'll pay for the dress. Tell them I will pay for the dress. And here's how he describes what happened next. He says, my translator started to turn his head toward them, but remained fixed on my words. He maintained eye contact with me for several uncomfortable seconds standing silently before he finally said, Pastor Groeschel, I won't tell them this. It would hurt them very badly. Please, it would be very rude for you to rob them of the blessings they would like to give you and your family on behalf of God. Tormented as I was over the inequity, I knew that accepting their gift, no matter how extravagant, was the right thing to do. As they placed the dress over Mandy's head to try it on, her tears started to flow. Mine did too, and Amy's. In fact, by the time they had had her all laced up, every one of our team was sobbing. Their entire village was just one giant smile. I felt so unworthy, so humbled. How could our family receive such a luxurious gift? You know, when we travel to other parts of the world, sometimes you can be so moved and you can lament over the poverty, the material poverty that you see. But how many people in those circumstances might come to America and lament over the spiritual, the relational, the emotional poverty that we often live in? We've looked at some really great examples of generosity so far this morning. But there is one who's given even more. Let's reread verse 9. For you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. 
In the first message in this series, we looked at Philippians chapter 2, where we read that Jesus emptied himself. He became nothing. He left the glory and the honor and all the goodness that were due his name, the blessedness. And he took on the very nature of a slave, and he walked among us. And if you were here that week, you'll remember that I asked you to consider, do you think there's an earthly king who would do such a thing? who would leave his throne, his palace, and all the people who adore him to go and serve as a slave in his own land so that he could help his subjects, the same subjects who had rejected him as their king and decided that they didn't want to live under his authority. Most of us couldn't imagine something like that, and yet that's what Christ has done to an even greater degree. Christ is our model for generosity We give because the Lord has given so extravagantly for us. Jesus lived with so much glory that we can't comprehend, with wealth that would make all the treasure of earth just look tiny. He dwelt in love with God the Father and the Spirit and the Holy Trinity. And this passage says that that though he was rich, he made himself poor for our sakes. Generosity happens when we reorient our lives and we fix our attention on Jesus Christ, who's given so much for us. When we trust in him, we no longer need to live with anxiety about money because we know that he is able to provide for all of our needs and he gives us eternal security. When we trust in him, we no longer have to deal with envy and this crippling power of envy that it has over us because we know that Jesus can give us a status that no wealth could ever possibly give us. You know, too many people have settled for a shallow version of what it means to have faith that doesn't ask anything from them. But it, and it keeps them attached to these little tiny storehouses of wealth when God has an infinite supply of riches available in his kingdom. I want to share one more story with you. This is something that Roy Jeter read at our last elder meeting. It's uh, something, it's a quote from, a story from uh, Rick Warren, who's the pastor at Saddleback Church, and he's also a a best-selling pastor, uh, author as well. Um, Warren writes this, I heard a story about a man who took his son to McDonald's and bought him supersized French fries. On the way home, those fries smelled so good, so he reached over and took one little French fry out of his son's carton and ate it. You can imagine what the son did. He got really upset and said, Dad, you can't have that. That's mine. The dad immediately had three thoughts. First, my child has forgotten that I am the source of all fries. (laughs) I took him to McDonald's. I made the order. I paid for the order. I handed them to him, and I'm driving him back home. The only reason he got any fries was because of me, the great fry giver. (laughs) Second, my child doesn't realize I could take those fries away in a second if I wanted to. Or, on the other hand... I could buy him an entire truckload of fries if I wanted to, because I have the power to do either. Third, I didn't need his fries. I could easily get my own. I could buy myself a hundred cartons of them if I wanted to. 
I just wanted him to learn to be unselfish. And there are three lessons for us that we can learn in this passage as well. I mean, in this story as well. First, God wants us to remember that he is the source of everything that we have. We would have nothing. We wouldn't be alive if it wasn't for everything that he has given us, including life. Second, God could take everything away in a second, or he could double it in a second. So we spend our whole life scratching and clawing and grasping after money, and we don't even realize that God is the one who's in control of it all, not us. And third, God doesn't need our, mom, our money. Remember, he has a wealth that far exceeds all the treasure of earth. He wants to teach us something. He wants to teach us about generosity and blessing and faith and trust. He wants us to go deep. And so I want to encourage you to give. Now, don't give because you feel guilty. Don't give because you're worried about what the person sitting next to you will think when the offering plate passes by and you don't put anything in. Don't give because you want to impress the person sitting next to you. We read 2 Corinthians 8 earlier today. Let's look at the next chapter, just one verse. It says this, Each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Give as an act of joy because of the goodness that God has given to you. Give as an act of humility because you recognize, as we've been talking about, that everything belongs to God. Give as an act of trust because you know that God can provide for you what wealth could never give you. Give because you don't want your money to have control over your life. Pray and ask God, how much would you like me to give? And then give it consistently. Give first. Don't give your leftovers, but give God the best that you have. And as you give, God will take you deeper in faith. He will bless you, and he will bless the lives of others through you. So let us all give joyfully. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for all the ways that you have given us resources, whether it's time or talent or our finances. Lord, help us to trust you more. Help us to worship you in every way, not just through singing a few songs, which is an important and wonderful, beautiful part of worship, but with our whole lives. Lord, this is hard for us to do and it makes us uncomfortable, so we need to rely on you. So Lord, give us the strength and the courage and the joy of generosity. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.